in the last three and a half years, I have stayed in a variety of hotels. This is the time that I have been in my current work position. I have been on staff with the United Church of Christ, and there come those times when I am invited out somewhere to give a presentation or a workshop, something to that effect. Now, for the first two years of my time, there was none of this. I, I started in this role in April of 2020. And if you can remember what was happening in April of 2020, there was not a lot of traveling happening back then. And that included the UCC national setting. Everyone was grounded for quite a while. Everything, every event was on Zoom or some third-party online platform. And then eventually, when that was shifted, when that policy was eased a little bit, or quite a lot, then the need or the expressed desire to have national staffers, including myself, travel out to places to present or to facilitate or whatever, began to make, be, they, they were made known to us. And so at that part, I began to experience the part of this position that I had not yet gone through, had not yet experienced for myself. Now, for the most part, you would not blink. I certainly did not blink at many of the hotels where I have stayed during these trips. They have largely been of the variety where it's, you know, the accommodations are, they're, they're, they're good, they're up to a certain standard, you can go downstairs and you know go go get your free breakfast you get you get to scoop the the eggs that that were likely just poured into a pan earlier you know those those kinds of extra fluffy weird eggs and you put that on your plate and you go get the the potatoes and the 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 crispy folded in on itself bacon and the rubbery sausage and all that and those were fine. Those are what I expected. I, believe it or not, enjoy that food. So, so that, that's, that was fine with me. Every once in a while, particularly if I'm staying in a hotel where the conference or event is also happening, then the hotel is a step or two above those typical sorts of hotels. So the accommodations are even nicer. And the elevators, they just whoosh you up to your floor. And the conference rooms are even nice. The, the one downside that I would name 
And it's a heck of a downside, really. It's it's one of those where, like, really, that's what you're complaining about, is that in lieu of those breakfast buffets with the rubbery sausage and the folded in on itself bacon and the the poured out of a can eggs and all that in lieu of that they have a really nice restaurant which of course requires you to pay extra in order to eat there and it has been my experience listener that the food quality is not necessarily that much better than the rubbery sausage. In fact, the last trip I went on, or the I guess it would be the second to last trip I went on, it, it was not worth the like 15 or 18 dollars or whatever it was to eat in this place. So just give me a break with that kind of stuff. Anyway, these hotels, I've, 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 the, the point here is to say that for the most part, you kind of know what to expect with the hotels. At least I've, I have come to expect certain things. If, if it's something like, like a typical chain that you would stop by during a road trip, then you you know that you're going to get that little free breakfast buffet and and the ho- the the rooms are going to be all right and and then if I'm going to like a a more where the conference is going to be held then I know that you know there's going to be the the overpriced restaurant and the accommodations are going to be nicer so this is all to say that I know more or less what I am going to experience depending on the specifics of the event that I'm going to. Well, I was at a team event a few weeks ago where all of that, all of those expectations were thrown into chaos. This was an event in downtown Cleveland. In fact, the vast majority of it were held at the offices of the UCC national setting. Or at least in its building. There was also a conference room on the main floor that we used quite a bit as well. So this was a team event where I didn't really need to... I didn't certainly didn't need to fly anywhere, but I also didn't really need to do a whole lot of traveling. I live about an hour south of where the national setting is located, but because of that, it would still be a pain for me to drive back and forth every single day. It would not be practical. For those of us who live in the immediate area, it just would not make sense to do that, especially considering how early things tended to start, and how late things tended to go. And so, each of us were given a room. We're booked a room at a downtown Cleveland hotel. 
In fact, this downtown Cleveland hotel was a Holiday Inn Express. So immediately, I hear Holiday Inn Express, and I'm thinking, okay, rubbery sausage, and the the poured in, poured out of a can eggs, and, you know, the, the typical room that you would associate with this kind of a road trip typical place. All right, that, that's what this will be. Oh, how wrong I was. It turns out that this building in which the Holiday Inn Express was housed was not always a Holiday Inn Express. In fact, before it began its life as a hotel, this particular building was a bank. How do I know? Well, I would walk in the front door, which was right off of a busy Cleveland street, and the former vault was right there by the entrance. Open, there were plaques on the wall that said the former bank's name on it. Everything was that polished marble tile aesthetic in the main lobby that that you would associate with with a larger city bank like that. So there, there was there was a like a cavernous quality to it and and you would walk up and and I checked in and then I went to the elevators. The elevators were something special as well. You you think of those like old timey elevators with like the the big light above them that lights up and and then when the doors opened there it was made of this the inside of it was paneled with this old wood that had clearly seen better days and above the the lower part was wood and then the the upper part everything was mirrored and and you would step in and these had to have been around the same elevators had to have been around since at least maybe the 80s if not older and you would you would hit the button and go up to the floor i happened to be staying on the 13th floor i would like to note that and then the the doors would open and i would step out again onto a a polished marble tile sort of lobby area and i made my way to the hallway which was kind of this this dimly lit wood panel on the floor wallpapered sort of area and i couldn't help but think you know there is something about this that reminds me of the shining there is something about this that makes me expect a pair of twin girls to pop up and ask me to play 
and, and it, it was just, it was kind of giving off that vibe. I went to my room, which was not that far down the hallway. I, I opened the door, and the room is quite large. Still wood-paneled floor. Your typical hotel furniture. Like, you picture that, you know, the, the beds with, like, the, the, the base around them so you can't actually lose anything under the bed. And your typical, like, end tables and desk and little dresser with the, the TV on top and, and, and all of that. Except it was in a too-large-for-it room. Again, with wood flooring. It, clearly part of the well we did our best to convert this from a bank and you know I, I wasn't going to complain about having more room but it was still there there was something about that was that was a bit strange and again I had the thought you know it would not be that surprising to me if in the middle of the night I woke up and there would be a figure standing next to my bed just leering over me like some banker that didn't do well with the 1929 crash and and with unfinished business and he would be standing there crying at his lost earnings or something and this was just this was the vibe this was the vibe that I got from this place and every time, I kid you not, every time that I walked back out into that hallway toward the elevators or when I would get off the elevators to go to my room, again, I would half expect something to be waiting for me. Now, I did have fun with this. I had fun with this setup. I, I took a picture of the hallway and I photoshopped a, a bunch of I went on Canva and I and I I stuck a bunch of random like popular horror characters in the picture just to have so I, I of course you had to do the the twin girls first because that was my thought uh, Michael Myers was one of them Slimer from Ghostbusters because hey he liked hotels we know that uh, the Samara, the girl from the ring, was one of them. And then Bernie Sanders, because I still love that meme from a couple years ago. And, and I had fun with it, and I was able to laugh at it, and I was able to enjoy my time there. But still, there was something, someplace in the back of my mind, that half expected something more to happen. You know from past episodes... That this is a real thing for me. I, I talked about our recent visit to the Ohio State Reformatory a few episodes ago. So yeah, th there was a part of me that really did think that something was going to pop up at some point. Something never did. But in the back of my mind, I decided to nevertheless be anxious about this. If not just a little. And so, it got me to thinking, again, nothing ever happened, but it got me to thinking about all those other times 
that my mind tells me something is up, when in reality, nothing is up. And when we know rationally that nothing is up, there has to be a way for us to keep functioning in the world. We have to find a way for that rational part of our minds to prevail. But how do we do that? Welcome to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. There is a prevailing sentiment in our culture, in our society, that the rational mind, the intellectual side of who we are as people, as humans, is the, the, the preferable side it's it's the the more assured side it's the side that will always get us to where we need to be going it's the side that can always be trusted can always be counted on that will never let us down as long as we as long as we follow our minds then everything will turn out so well. But there's a couple problems. There's a couple problems with this line of thought. The, the first one is that there are so many occasions, I think, we have seen, particularly in recent years, where people are professing to be led with their minds that they're being that they're being led by their their thinking that they're being led and and going in the right direction because of of their thought process and their logic when in reality they are clearly being led by something else so sometimes this value or overvalue of the mind, of the thought process, is an easy way to give cover to a lot of ways that we do harm to others. And, and so that, that's the first problem, that we sometimes we say we're being led by our mind when we're really not. We're being led by something else. And that kind of leads me to the main thing, which is the mind is just as capable of playing tricks on us as our emotional sides are. Just as capable. And that the example of, well, 
I'm, I really am being led by my rational thought. That proclamation, that, that's us fooling ourselves at times. That's us, that's us wanting others to believe or even wanting ourselves to believe that, the, that it's true when really we're being led by a whole lot of biases, by a whole lot of assumptions, by a whole lot of preferences. My, my, my pet cause for this is the worship wars. When someone declares that so-called traditional worship music or traditional worship forms, formal liturgy, hymns sung on an or organ is vastly intellectually superior. And they come up with all these supposed rational explanations for why this is the case, when really, how much of that is just you speaking out of your preferences, of your biases, of your out of your nostalgia, instead of any kind of real, objective, rational thinking. So that that's that's my pet peeve. That's my my pet cause, I guess, or one of many. But there, are, what happens? The deeper question about those times when we we think we're being rational. Or, or we think we, we end up sliding into a thought pattern that maybe we know is not rational. Like me peeking around the corner in the hotel hallway every couple times a day. What, what, what is really going on when we slip into modes of thinking that end up doing us more of a disservice, that make us think things that really, if we're able to step back and view things more rationally, we know is not really what's happening. What is going on inside us that leads us down that path? And there are a lot of answers to this, a lot of possibilities. And for us, it, it may be different for each of us. But I can name a handful or more. I, I've talked about imposter syndrome before, where we're worried that, that we're going to be found out as not as big as an expert in our field as people seem to think we are. So, so we get up into this, this mode of thinking, I, I am inadequate, I, I'm not up to the task, I'm going to be found out, I, I can't do this, I, I'm not as good as people think I am, maybe people know I'm not as good, and, and we, get, we, we slide down into this, into this pit of self-loathing, this pit of self-deprecation where we're always putting ourselves down instead of believing in ourselves that we are fully capable of doing the thing we have been asked to do. So it can be this inadequacy that, that we are wrestling with. We, we can, sometimes it's past experience that leads us down this path. 
Well, they, there was this instance that happened years and years ago. And, and when a similar instance comes up, we start to have the same worries as that past instance. The same worries that this is going to turn out the same way. Or, or if it's really serious, if it's really like some kind of past trauma, then it might send our entire body down a road that, that we can't help. But nevertheless, that might happen. So past experience may, may get us to think, oh, well, it, it must be true this time because it was true the last time. When again, circumstances, context, other things might be different and might be better than whatever it is that happened whenever it happened. Sometimes we might just be prone to worst case sorts of thinking where you're, you're talking to your spouse or partner and they say something and you just pick up something about their tone that your brain just latches onto and, and maybe you start to think, oh, they're upset with me. When nothing has happened to, to lead to that thought at all, nothing has happened the whole day that would make them suddenly upset with you, but you nevertheless, you, you, it, all it takes is that one little thought of the possibility to send you down a road for the rest of the day. So, so this worst case scenario thinking can, can be part of the issue. Confirmation bias. Let's talk for a second about confirmation bias. That is, you already think of something as true. And so whatever you can find in your environment, whatever you can find in books, articles, blogs, whatever, that can help prop up your belief or your inkling, you're going to latch onto that and ignore anything to the contrary. Again, we have seen this over and over and over again the past few years in particular. It happened with our former president. It happened with the pandemic. It's happening now with conflicts across the globe and in other many other instances where, where you, you already believe something to be true and rational. And so whatever little signs that you can collect that confirm that it is true, you're going to gravitate towards those things. So, so we can do this with beliefs, like the ones I just mentioned, or again, we can do this with particular scenarios. Let's go back to the hotel. There was this one time, this one day, where I left, when I left in the morning, I left several lights on. I went to the event, did my thing, came back in the evening, all the lights were off. The room was completely dark. And I did remember that I had left lights on. 
And so, of course, my very first thought was, oh, it's the banker. It's the 1929 banker. He's around. He's real. But then, as I noticed that there were fresh towels in the bathroom and several other things had been tidied up, I realized, no, housekeeping had been by and they turned all the lights off before they left. But for at least a little bit, my confirmation bias was willing to go along with, oh, no, this place really is haunted. They really are. Those girls are going to pop up. It's going to happen. That that thought was real for me for a few minutes. And then I, of course, finally realized what had really happened. And then I, I could move on. I could settle down and, and, and settle in for the evening as intended. So those times when we look for the signs that help confirm what we initially thought, that can be ways that we, that we continue to go along with whatever little trick that the brain is trying to impose upon us. These are just a handful of ways that this might happen. It, whether past experience or imposter syndrome or that worst case thinking that we may be prone to confirmation bias. All of these are examples or all of these are ways that maybe, just maybe, we're either not being as rational as we thought we were being or our rational selves are not as trustworthy as we initially believed. Now, I've already observed that even when we are already on this path into this, this sort of thinking that, that gets us into scenarios that, that are not really what's happening, I've already observed that even when we are, are sliding into this kind of thinking, we are, we still may be aware that we're not being rational. We still might be aware enough that even though we're following a, a certain path in, in our mental state, that what, what I am doing right now, what I am thinking right now, the way I'm reacting right now is not really about what's happening. And again, some of that might just be a trauma reaction. Not just, but you know what I mean. Might be a trauma reaction where there is something that is just 
inside us that that has not fully been worked out yet and may never be worked out yet. And so recognizing that for ourselves can be helpful for us. Sometimes we need the reassurance of others where we actually, the best way to get out of our heads is to ask somebody who is not in our heads or several somebodies who are not in our heads. Just checking in, is this really what's going on here? This is how I reacted. This is what I heard. This is what I saw. It, can can you just confirm or, or help me unconfirm that, that this is what really happened or is happening? And the worst case thing, the worst case one, you know... So someone used the wrong tone, just check in with them. Sorry, could you say a little more about what you meant just now? You know, just these simple things. And again, again, they might not seem so simple. They might not seem so easy. But nevertheless, finding ways to to get outside of our own thinking, to invite perspectives, experiences of others can be one of the biggest and best ways that we can step out and to view things a little more objectively. Again, everyone's going to have their own subjective perspective of things, but nevertheless, to have that other perspective to at least bounce off of can help settle us down. Another thing might just be to fess up to the very real role that emotions are always playing for us whether we realize it or not, or accept it or not, or value it as much. Nevertheless, that's what's happening. Whether, whether it's nostalgia, whether it is some kind of a bias that we have, we are emotionally attached to something in a certain way, and only after the fact will we come up with a rational explanation for it. And the, these just acknowledging it, accepting it, dealing with it, questioning it, acknowledging that we are emotional beings as well as thinking beings. Because there are times where the emotion happens first and that helps us, that pushes us down that slide into worst case thinking or feelings of inadequacy or wanting to find signs around us that will confirm the ways that we feel or think. It's our emotions that help get that ball rolling. It's our emotions that play a role in what we think. Or they have a much bigger role in our thinking 
then perhaps at least a certain portion of us have been willing to accept or to admit. Of course, the rest of my team and all the other participants in this event also stayed at this strange, used-to-be-a-bank, possibly-haunted hotel in downtown Cleveland. And as a result, of course, we were able to commiserate around our experiences of our lodgings. So we all talked about our strangely large rooms. We talked about the small, rickety, wood-paneled elevators. We talked about the cavernous lobby area. More than one of us talked about the strange vibes of the place. Up to, and at least for a few more than just me, including whether or not there might be spiritual guests residing there as well. This commiseration, this sharing of a common general experience while also sharing our own particular experiences enabled us to not only process it together and to hear different perspectives, but it also allowed us to reassure one another that no, none of us were alone in perhaps feeling the ways that we did about the place or thinking some of the things that we did about the place. But we could also assure one another of what was real and what was our own minds playing tricks on us. It was a way for us collectively to recognize that it might not be the best idea to believe everything we think, but instead move toward a truly more rational perspective of the situation that would assure us that our thoughts and emotions were valid, but more so that as much as those thoughts and emotions at times wanted us to believe otherwise, that in truth, all is well. Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including all my books, at jeffreyanelson.com. You can also find me on social media, Jeffrey A. Nelson, on Facebook, and I'm at Bold Roast Rev on Instagram and elsewhere. Have a great week.